that your identity matters. Okay, five of us. How many of y'all know that it's important that you know who you are? Okay? You got to know who you are. If you don't know who you are, you can be in a world of trouble. Right? Your identity matters, and so it's the truth in the kingdom as believers, as sons and daughters of the living God. It's important that we know who we are. Let me tell you a couple experiences that I had in life that I thought were very interesting, uh, and, and I believe really connects to this reality of identity. I remember going to college, the Southeastern Bible College. At that time, it was Southeastern College, now Southeastern University. Um, I remember that there was an individual that looked a lot like me. I looked a lot like him. We were both like 120 pounds soaking wet, right? We, we both had the fro going, right? I know you can see it now, you know, and, uh, you know, we both had a smile like we were up to something all the time. So I can see it. I can see it, right? And I remember that one of my favorite teachers, Dr. Pekins, called me into his office and he said, Johnny, we need to take care of your schoolwork, Johnny. I, I don't know how I'm going to get, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to get you past this class if you don't turn in this assignment and that assignment. And I was freaking out because I thought, man, I'm failing this class. I thought I had a B plus at least, right? I thought I was inching towards that A. And then he kept saying the wrong name. And I was like, wait a minute. After about 10 minutes of him disciplining me, I said, Dr. Pekins, that's not me. That's, that's such and such. It's not me. And he felt terrible. You can tell his face was red. And I just looked at him. It's okay, doctor. You just need more black people in your life. Right? <laughs> you know, I just have fun with him. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm going to take advantage of this one. <laughs> right? So, you know, there was another time where I got to teach English a second language in, uh, uh, for the Toledo Mud Hens. It was an absolute um, terrible experience. That was great sometimes. But, you know, they gave me this thing called the VIP pass because I was teaching English. And as you can tell, I'm from the Dominican Republic. And so being from the Dominican Republic and looking like a, I look like a lot of baseball players because Dominicans play a lot of baseball. I don't know how to play baseball if my life depended on it, Right. I have no idea how to play baseball, but I had to learn some things about baseball because I was teaching English as second language. So here I am. I got freedom to go to the stadium because I'm supposed to meet with the players before their game time, whenever they're playing at home. And so I have this VIP pass, and every time I would go somewhere, people are like, VIP, VIP, you know. He's like, I wonder what he's doing, you know. And every time people are like, literally, can I get your signature? No, that's like, I am like nobody, right? Like, I don't play baseball. I don't. Some people were asking for my signature. One guy, one guy was like, you must be a recruiter. You're recruiting? It's like, no. Okay, so are you a player? It's like, no. So what are you? No, I just teach English as second language. Oh. <laughs> right? I go to get some chicken tenders, because when you go to a baseball game, you got to get food, right? Anybody with me? You got to get food. I'm going to a baseball game. I got to eat something. Don't take me to a movie or to a game without food because the, the experience is halfway, right? It's like a bad experience. So I go and I'm going to get my chicken tenders and my drink and I'm going to go to pay for my, my drink and my chicken tenders. And the guy says, no, nah, no, nah, you don't pay. You know you don't pay. We're going to win this one, aren't we? <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not a player. I just, I just teach English as second language. Can I just can I just pay for my chicken tender? He's like, no, no, you can have it. You can have it. It's okay. No, it's all right. It's all right. We're going to win this one, are we? <laughs> but just give me these chicken tenders. I'm sitting down. 
And it's, it's just so interesting. There are times probably that you can look back in your life when somebody thought you were somebody else or you were mistaken to be something you're not. I think that a lot of us go through life living in an identity that God never intended us to live under. Many of us go through life succumbing to something less than what God created you to be. Your identity in Christ is much better than what this world has for you. And I want to just, I want to explain something to you that I hope everybody gets it here, no matter how old or how young, you need to get this. You were meant to be more than a slave. And I want you to understand this. Christianity, Christianity is not about slavery to rules. It's not about rules and regulations. And that is what Galatians chapter 4 talks about. So if you would join me, let's go to Galatians chapter 4 verse 1. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read there, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, <coughs> excuse me, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Let's pause there. Because you're sons and daughters, God has sent his Holy Spirit into your life so that you have the right to be able to say to the Lord God, creator of the universe, Daddy. 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 Now what does it imply when we call God that we can say Daddy to our God, Papa to our God? What does that, what does that imply? Talk to me. You can talk to me. Loving relationship. Closeness. What else? Freedom. Comfort. Inheritance. Huh? Kindness. Guidance. Daddy. Daddy means, this is my dad. This is my daddy. This is my, you ever see kids, poor single children, you know, they're the only child in the home, and then all of a sudden number two comes? And number two's getting all this attention? And that number, that first child is like, are we going to give him back to the hospital or? Is this, because you're like my mom, you're like my dad, and this, this is, it's not working out right now. <laughs> Anybody experience that with the second born, right? All right? Okay, listen, what, what, it's this idea that you have this intimacy, this belonging, this attention that belongs to you. Okay, I want you to hold on to that as we read that. And the Holy Spirit is in you. You have the right to call him that. Now, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, 
You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves do you want to be once more? You have served days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid, I'm afraid that I've labored in, that I've labored in vain. Let's pray as we dive into the scripture. Father, we need your anointing to hear your word today. Uh, we need your anointing, Father God, to receive your word today. Speak life today. I need your anointing to preach your word today. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Key, key point in understanding Galatians. The first four chapters deal with us thinking rightly about Christianity, about God and who we are. The last two chapters talk to us about, okay, how do we do this Christian life? What does it look like as we walk it out? This, last, this chapter four talks about our identity in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, you know, God intended you not to be slaves, but to be more than slaves, to be sons and daughters. But I don't understand why you're leaving being sons and daughters to become a slave again. And the Galatians could rightly say, what do you mean? We're not living in the same sin. We're not lusting after things. We're not worshiping false gods. We're not doing all these things. But then Paul describes what that slavery looks like. And he says this, the slavery is this. You keep days and you keep rules and you keep regulations and you got to do things by this code and by that. And so you're, instead of walking in the freedom that God intended for you, you got all these rules and regulations that keep you from being free. That's slavery. And then he says, man, this bothers me so much it feels like I am in labor pains again. What does that mean? Well, as the one who planted the church, he was concerned that they were losing their faith. And he had to again do the work again so that they would come again to true, genuine faith in Jesus and walk away from the rules and the regulations that really became slavery to them. So as you read through Galatians, the whole uh, chapter 4 of Galatians, you'll notice several things. Let me just go really quickly through these with you. Number one, God's intention, we said it already, was always more than slavery. Always more than slavery. Yet in our human nature, we have a tendency to fall into slavery patterns. We can become easily enslaved to sin. We can become easily enslaved to sick cycles. We can become enslaved to, a, 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 how can I say this, a strength-based Christianity. Do you know that it's very possible to do Christianity in our strength? It's not true Christianity, and that it's not a living Christianity. It's not a life-giving Christianity. It's a Christianity by rules that can keep us enslaved instead of walking in our freedom, right? A long time ago, we had an assessment here at the Rockhorn Evaluation. We said, how do you look at the Bible? What's the Bible to you? And many people enter this way. The Bible is a book of rules of do's and don'ts. So, man, how sad. What is Christianity to you? Many people would say Christianity is about doing certain things and not doing certain things. And I got to tell you, we got to redeem, that, that's a lie from the pit. Christianity is about a relationship with a living God who paid the price for your sins so that you can be redeemed and restored. Isn't that good news today? 
So God always intended more than slavery. The Bible says there that when you were a child, you had an inheritance, but you were too young to receive it. So because you were too young to receive it, there were people who were guarding you and protecting you until the day that you can grow up and receive that inheritance. And it's kind of a symbolic picture. He says the law, or living by rules and regulations, was kind of like a tutor, a, a, a counselor who, who protected you or, or cared for you until the time of maturity. When did that time of maturity come? When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave. That moment... We no longer had to live by rules and regulations. Our sins were no longer covered. They were forgiven. We were cleansed, and we can walk in the fullness of our inheritance. Number one, we're not called to slavery. Number two, salvation is more than just forgiveness. I want to stop right there, and I want us to celebrate that. Say it with me. Salvation Salvation is is more than forgiveness. Salvation is more. It's so much more. Salvation is adoption. And I want to pause there. I want to talk a little bit about understanding this salvation as adoption. If I am being adopted, if I am being adopted, I belong to someone. If I am being adopted, I no longer... I I leave a world, I leave an identity, and I receive a new identity. When you gave your life to Jesus, you were not only just forgiven. You were not only cleansed of your sins. The Lord God has given you a new identity as a son and a daughter. And and what that new identity means to you and I is this. Because some of us need to understand, what does it mean to be a son and a daughter? What does it mean to have a God as a father? It means this, the Lord favors you. That means he favors you. Let's just pause at a very elementary place. Let me ask you a question. When you think about the way God thinks about you, what do you think God thinks about you? That's what we're talking about today. Because we may have this in doctrine and in philosophy. I'm asking you personally. When you think about what God is thinking about you, what do you think God thinks about you? Amen. I hope so. I believe that many of us live in this place where we think that God sees us only through the lens of our shortcomings. Only through the lens of our failures. Through the lens of how we cannot do this in our own strength. But when God sees you, you know what the Bible says? Brian, when you wake up in the morning, I'm looking to show you new mercy. Nina, when you wake up in the morning, I'm looking to shower my grace over you. Mary, when you wake up in the morning, I want you to feel my presence. When you wake up in the morning, I don't want you to feel like you're treading water, trying to survive. I want you to understand that you're more than a conqueror. What you think God thinks about you really matters. And here what Paul is saying is, if you're a son and a daughter of the living God, then you got to let your thinking be rewired so that you can see God is thinking about you in the right light. He doesn't see you as a failure. He doesn't see you as a perpetual shortcoming. He sees you as a son and a daughter that he loves to pour out his blessing upon. Do you live with that reality in mind? So salvation is not just forgiveness. It's not just cleansing, but it's also adoption. Some of us feel like 
because we're not walking in our full identity and in the full salvation of God, some of us are continuing to go to the altar of repentance and the altar of repentance with the wrong perspective. Let me try to describe this. We come to the altar of repentance, which we should all come to the altar of repentance continually and ask God for forgiveness for our sins. But we come thinking that our repentance is going to get us favor from God. Thinking that if I repent, that I'm going to be made right with God again because I was made wrong when I fell short, you know, and God didn't love me and didn't care for me. Listen, God is not some kind of 13-year-old in middle school who has a crush on you. And he doesn't know if he loves you or loves you not. That's not the way God operates. To all my 13 and 14 and 15-year-olds, I love y'all. But he doesn't waver in his love for you because you fall short. Anybody with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? His love is constant and it's real. And you can continue to come to repentance, not because he's upset at you, but because he loves you. And he loves to hear from you. And he wants there to be nothing to hinder the relationship that you share with him. I repent not because I'm in the wrong. I repent because I'm in the right. Does that make sense? Not because I've made right decisions, but because I'm in right standing with God because of what Jesus has done for me. I have access to repentance because he's given it to me as a son. Therefore, my sins don't separate me from God because I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a child of the living God. You understand that today? So repentance is a sweet place because I get to be forgiven and I get to embrace daddy. Does that make sense? That's a great place to be. But when we don't walk in the fullness of the gospel, understanding that the fullness of the gospel is forgiveness and adoption, redemption and restoration. Our, but let me stop. I think I need to stop here. God can restore what you think is beyond repair. God can restore what you think is beyond repair. You just come to God with your brokenness and you just watch what God's going to do. You just come to God with that addiction and watch the freedom that God will give you. You come to God with your marriage. You come to God with your doubts about who you are and your identity. You come to, to God with your lack of confidence and your insecurity and the financial mess you made out of your lives. You come to God with your bad grades and, and, and your bad reputation at school. You come to God with that and you watch what God will do with your life. He's a restoring God. But when we don't understand, when we don't walk in the fullness of forgiveness and restoration, redemption and restoration, what happens is that we accept a false gospel. And so what was happening in the Galatians, with the church of Galatia, Paul preached the good news to them, they received it, and then some false preachers came by, and they began to preach, oh, did Paul just say that all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus? No, you got to do more, you got to or you got to follow this rule, and you got to follow that rule, and you got to follow this rule and that rule. And unless you keep all these rules perfectly, you're not saved. You're not, it's just not going to happen. You got to keep these days, you got to practice these things, and you don't belong to God unless you do these things. And so, not only did they become critical of themselves, but Paul says they became critical of him. And if you read in Galatians chapter 4 on down, he says, what happened to you? When I first, 
excuse me, when I first preached the gospel to you, you were so happy to hear from me. It says, I was so sick. I was completely ill with a fever, and yet you received me as if I was an angel of God or even Jesus himself. And you cared for me, and I shared the good news, and you grew. Now, look at that. I was your blessing, but look at how you treat me now. You know what happened with the Galatians? They took their eyes off Jesus. They looked at themselves. They became critical of themselves. And when you're critical of yourself, you have no option but to become critical of others. You see how that happens? Most people who are critical of others are really just really critical of themselves. And so, when we're not walking in the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens is, is not, that we become critical of others. I want to tell you what the world does not need. The world does not need a critical church. I'm 100% convinced of it. The world does not need a church who's critical of another church. The world doesn't need a church that um, goes around just pointing out the failures of other people. Somebody came up to me one time, uh, a, a long time ago, and they said, you know, I believe the Lord called me to be a part of this rock so that I can tell you all of the ways that you, that you messed up on your message and all of the mistakes that you made. And I said, uh-huh, I rebuke you, devil. That's a lie from the pit. That's the wrong spirit. The Lord, let me tell you, some people, some people say, well, the Lord, this is the way the Lord made me. I'm a realist. No, that's just a critical spirit that you need deliverance from. There's like a couple of us clapping. I'm going to say, some of us have a critical spirit that we need deliverance from. Number one, deliverance for ourselves and for those that surround us. You know, and so when we don't receive the fullness, we enter into being critical of ourselves and of others because our Christianity, Christianity is based on our works. And what Christianity is based on what we do, on our practices, instead of what Jesus has done for us, then Christianity becomes slavery. And so Paul at the end there of that portion of scripture uh, begins to use the picture of Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael being Abraham's son that he had in compromise and in sin, and Isaac being the son that represents the promise and obedience and the faithfulness of God. And he says, you know, it's kind of like this. It's like Ishmael and Isaac. You know that Ishmael was the son of compromise and of disobedience, and he was driven away. And you know that Isaac was the son of the promise and of obedience and of faithfulness, and he was drawn closer. Basically, he's saying this. When you try to do Christianity in your own strength, the only fruit that you will get from that is being driven away from God. But when you do Christianity out of the fact that Jesus loved you, he paid the price for your sins, and you can be free to live, you're going to draw closer to God. That's a whole different world. Now, I'm going to make a confession to you. I got saved, delivered, transformed by the power of God, and it seasons in my life, not just one season, but multiple seasons, I fell back into slavery default. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And instead of doing Christianity out of the fact that the promise and the faithfulness and the goodness of God, I've done Christianity in my own strength. Anybody with me? And it's very obvious that when I've done Christianity in my own strength, instead of feeling closer to God, I felt further and further 
away from him. The joy was not there. The peace was not there. The excitement for the people of God was not there. The excitement about being in the church and encountering the miracles and the power of God was not there. My eyes were dry. The, 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 the excitement for a devotional life, for, for, for a secret place to pray or to share the good news was not there. And I was dead. Dead. Asleep, I should say, because God woke me up, but I was asleep in the spirit. When, how do you know when you're doing Christianity in your own strength? Let's ask a simple question. Do you feel further away from God than when you first started? There was a point in my life where I could look back and say, man, God, why is it that back in February 26, 1995, I felt closer, more joy? Your fir my first love was very real. Where is that? Where is that Carlos today? That's a clear sign. What's another clear sign that maybe we're doing Christianity in our own strength? If our life is going from one burnout to another, cycles of burnout, it's a clear sign. If some of us are just going through cycles of, you know, of, condemnation and condemnation and more condemnation feel like we could never get above a certain line six cycles that's a clear sign but one of the greatest one of the greatest signs that maybe we're doing christianity in our strength is what we do with our disappointments what do we do with our disappointments i want you to hear it from me i want you to i want you to hear this truth if you choose to follow jesus Jesus will disappoint you. Jesus will disappoint you. Because Jesus is not intending to meet all your expectations. It is not the job of our Lord and Savior to meet our expectations. He's going to call us to follow him. And when we follow him, he's going to lead us to some places where we're not necessarily excited about. Right? And there are some things that we may experience that we're not necessarily glad about. Paul said he prayed to God, God, there's this thorn in this flesh, this tormented, tormentor of the devil. Take it away from me. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. And there are going to be times in your life where you think that the right thing for God to do is to operate in the great miraculous power to take something away. But God says, no. I'm going to operate in my power to take you through this instead of taking you away from this. And if you can be disappointed, let me tell you, which you can, God will disappoint us. People, do you know that people will disappoint us? Do you know that you'll disappoint yourself? Disappointment's real real. The question is, what will you do with your disappointment? When we do Christianity in our strength, When we do Christianity in our strength, our disappointments turn into bitterness. Our disappointments turn into bitterness. I want to save you from this. I hope that you don't do one day of your life doing a legalistic Christianity, but I want you to hear it from me. There are many people who have grown up in the church, and instead of handling their disappointments correctly, they have become bitter. They've lost their faith. They've lost their hope. They've lost their joy. You wonder, how in the world are these people Christian? What happened to their family? What happened to their joy? What happened to their peace? What happened to all that? 
What's the deal there? And you want to know why? That's what happens when we do Christianity in our strength. When we take matters into our hands. But when we put our eyes on Jesus and say, Lord, I'm saved by your grace. I'm saved by your goodness. The life that I have, I don't deserve it. I'm just glad to know you. When the storms rise, it's going to be well with my soul because you're in control. My sins have been forgiven, and one day I'm going to see you face to face. And I'm going to be with you for eternity. When we live with that perspective in mind, when we live with the fact, with this idea that our identity is found in what Jesus has done for us, we're going to find ourselves drawing closer to God instead of being driven away. Would you, would you stand with me today? Uh, <clears throat> Hallelujah. How, how do I, as a son, say, Pastor, how do I as a son, you say, Pastor, how do I as a daughter, how do I keep myself focused on the promises and the goodness of God and on the faithfulness of what Jesus, uh, no, what Jesus has done for me as opposed to trying to do things in my own strength? What can I do to keep myself lined up with that reality? It's so valuable. I got to tell you that that's a, a big thing for me. If I'm not careful, I fall into religious mode and I become critical and I lose my joy and my peace. And this certainly doesn't mean that I don't have disciplines for life. I certainly have disciplines that make sure that I keep my heart alive to God and my passions in the right direction. But I realize at the core of me, today I am loved because Jesus loves me. Today there's new mercy for me because he loves me. Today, I can take a step forward and know that God has a hope and a future for me because he loves me. Because the God who makes a way out of no way is there for me. And because the God who makes a way when I messed up the way is there for me. Right? And so, out of that place, out of that place I do life. So, let me give you a practical step here. How do I keep myself centered in the reality that my identity is a son who is favored and who is loved? I have accountability. Just like I have accountability, say, hey, I want to be the best husband that I could be for my wife. I want to be the best father that I can be for my children. I want to be the best pastor that I could be for my church. Uh, and just like some of you may have the, the same kind of accountability, I want to I be free from lust. I want to be free from these things. I want to live a life free and pure for the kingdom. I have accountability in my identity. My accountability partners, the number one thing that they hold me accountable is in, in this. I ask them to ask me this question every month. How are you seeing yourself? Are you living your life out of this place that you're a son of the living God? Because you know what I find? If I get that right, everything else comes easy. Everything else comes real easy. When I know that I'm a son, everything, everything kind of just falls into place. Now, I didn't get to live with my dad much, but he was a loved man. He was a man of influence, and he was a big dude. Carlo Antonio Hernandez, La Tranca, they called him the stronghold. That man is strong. That man is a stronghold. He's a big dude. And I was this puny little thing about 50 pounds soaking wet, right? Just looked like a little Ethiopian that needed to be fed, right? <laughs> Nothing muscular about me. But when people said, oh, you're Carlo Antonio Hernandez Ramirez, you're Carlo Antonio's son? Yeah, that's right. 
That's me. You can't tell? You can't tell what's happening? <laughs> because I was so proud of my dad, right? And I immediately took on that identity. I was, that's right, man. And I'm Carlos Antonio. Sure, he has like three or four or five or six other Carlos Antonios that he's had, but I'm one of them. <laughs> sure, he has 16 kids, but I'm the 13th. <laughs> but there was something about that, you know, that just, I was like, that's my dad. Do you live life knowing who your dad is? And what that means for you right now? What that means right now for you, is that real to you? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we come before you. Today I pray that salvation will take place in this house. Today I pray that we would walk into our identity. And today I pray that we would practice our identity. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you feel the freedom to do so, You're here today and you're saying, you know what, I am not. I don't know that I'm in the right relationship with God right now. The Bible says that if we haven't given our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, meaning if we haven't acknowledged before him our need for him and made a decision to follow him, the Bible tells us that instead of sons and daughters, we're orphans. We're orphans. We don't have a spiritual covering other than disobedience and slavery, whether it be to sin or to rules and regulations, you know what I find is that we can be in the church and be orphans because we don't know the Lord as our Father. So if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, today I want to give my life to Jesus. You're here today and you're saying, I don't want to live my life as a spiritual orphan. I received Jesus my Lord and Savior, and I receive him as my Father. I want to be in right relationship with him. He welcomes you. And the Bible says that he'll forgive you of your sins. He'll cleanse you, give you a new start, but also fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you would know that you, be, so that you, would know that you belong, but also so that you would have the power to live the life that he has created you to live. Because you're created with a purpose. If you're here today and you're saying you're tired of living your life purposeless, you're ready to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and receive God as your Father, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I see. I see. 